Welcome to the On-Premise IT Roundtable podcast, the only show that dares to be both on topic and usually on location. Each time we meet, we bring together a group of IT luminaries to discuss a single concept. In this episode, sponsored by Pure Storage, we're discussing the concept of technical debt and how the modern application stack is basically throwing out all the technical debt that we've accrued over these years. But first, let's meet the panel today. Hi, I'm Tom Green. I'm the founder and principal of GreenComp. Hi, I'm Sean Rosemary. I'm the global vice president of Pure Storage, looking after emerging technology solutions, specifically our Flashblade and Portworx technologies. Hello, my name is Arjan Tuberman. I'm the founder of Tech Unplugged. Um, you can find me at techunplugged.io. And I'm Stephen Foskett, organizer of Tech Field Day and publisher of Gestalt IT. You can find me at gestaltit.com uh, on the Gestalt IT Rundown every week and here in the On-Premise IT Roundtable podcast. So one of the things that a lot of us have been talking about, and I know this has been a conversation between Sean and Arjan and me over the years, is technical debt. The fact that uh, over time, you tend to accrue more and more technology cruft that you have to maintain forever in order to keep your stuff running and going. And in fact, a lot of companies in the IT space basically make all their money allowing people to preserve their technical debt and keep it going into the future so that people have to continue to keep working hard and keep buying more and more stuff that they don't need. But modern applications are changing all that. And in fact, most modern applications don't rely on the traditional IT stack at all. That's why it was interesting when a company like Pure Storage came up with uh, totally different storage platforms and acquired the Portworks, because frankly, uh, these are not technical debt solutions. These are totally something new solutions. So Sean, let's start with you. Uh, what's your feeling on technical debt and what's your feeling on throwing it all out and starting from scratch for modern apps? Yeah, thank you, Stephen. I mean, this is a very interesting topic. I want to start with a very basic foundational statement. When we think about the origins of IT, IT architecture, even IT systems, remember that this was all about efficiency. We originally built these systems that were more efficient than humans in calculation and database and processing, you know, large amounts of, of let's call it business transactions. And it evolved to the point where whether we move to databases or ERP or otherwise, the construct around IT was efficiency more specifically saving the company money. Obviously keeping running availability, resiliency, but saving the company money. And I think what fundamentally we saw happen about 15, I'm gonna call it 15 or 20 years ago when modern applications first started to kind of, you know, hatch out of the egg. We saw the early origins of what today would look like. Well, the construct shifted from saving the company money to really making the company money. In addition, the construct of data move from compliance and governance, cover me in the, in, the, in the instance that I need to recall something to how do I actually look at the data that I'm generating across my business, monetize it and turn it into a revenue opportunity. This has fundamentally changed, not just the way we run IT, but the investment profile. And what I would suggest to everyone here is a lot of the paradigms that were built to drive efficiency, simply hold back innovation and hold back um, this birth of modern applications where we're seeing, you know, the, uh, the challengers overtake the traditional players. 
Yeah, when you're uh, talking about the technical debt and you're talking about how you know, modern applications are starting to take that over, uh, it really becomes a, a question of you know, how quickly can that happen? Because a, uh, a lot of times it's a very transformational process, uh, but as you're doing that transformation, as you're looking at things, the, the debt still keeps accruing, the de debt still keeps piling up. Uh, so whenever you're looking at the... Um, or let's say legacy or enterprise space, and you're you're talking about these applications, uh, just how quickly the uh, engineers, the architects that have been there that have let this pile up over the past 10 years or 15 years, that um, how quickly can they react and how quickly are they going to be willing to change and willing to, to adopt a new framework and technology? Or uh, do you think that that's something that you need to to hire in and they have to bring in new blood to kind of help infuse that enthusiasm into the, the mix. Well, that's the interesting part, Tom, is that, you know, retrofit always seems like an easier answer. Why do I want to rip everything out and throw it away when I can just, you know, retrofit in the piece that's not working. I'll add a web service. I'll add a database module. I'll lift and shift so that I'm consuming from cloud, but ultimately my application is still running the way it originally ran. The problem is none of those actually get you to the end value. By retrofitting, you don't modernize your customer experience. You don't modernize your supplier experience. You don't change the revenue profile and you end up creating a massive or mountain of debt for the next individual who comes in to build on that, uh, which who now has a harder job to make the decision of ultimately looking at a brand new architecture. So, I totally understand what you're saying and I, I, I kind of go with you a, a long way, um, but I still think there's some technical debt is also around what are we going to do as a company for a foreseeable future? Because we already invested in, 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 in stuff. We need to make sure that some of the applications that are running, uh, keep running, um, and we need time to re-architect and refactor and redo the applications we have. So I think a, a good balance between what is going on, what we have right now, and where are we going to needs to stay within the company, right? It's not like I'm going to drop everything today and start all over. Um, if I'm a new company uh, that just started, uh, yeah, I can do that. But if I have a company that's been there for a couple of years and it's not only about making profit, it's also sometimes uh, making sure that the patients that I have uh, can do uh, or we can help them with whatever we do for them. Um, so it, it, it kind of needs to balance out. Uh, the technical debt is there and I think it needs to stay there. Um, in some cases, but in other cases, you, you should forget it and, and build a complete modern application the way it should be. Yeah, so, I, I mean, thank you for, thank you for kind of bringing some, uh, uh, some perspective in there, Ariane. I, I do think if we look back uh, at where we started, uh, let's not forget the first crack at kind of modernization was this enterprise service bus model. This was this concept of how do I take these traditional applications or legacy applications and make them live in this new world. The reality is I completely agree with you. There are mainframe applications and proprietary Unix applications that will not or cannot be migrated and they will live for the foreseeable future. There's an extremely long tail. Uh, 
The point is, though, where can you eliminate it? Because ultimately, where you can eliminate it, you are saving yourself an exponential amount of debt moving forward. But not just debt. It's not all about cost. You're also building yourself a tremendous amount of agility. Because where you can move from monolithic applications to microservice applications, and where you can start to look at updates to hundreds of lines of code, or even tens of lines of code on a daily or hourly basis versus quarterly or annual updates to a monolithic code base, is ultimately it's that agility that's going to drive your advantage as a business in the marketplace. So I agree with you. It's all about organizations being very, um, I would say, opinionated about what can be uh, modernized and making those hard decisions to modernize those components and what just can't, just simply cannot and must be built around. I think there's been too much compromise. And in many cases, I do think the hard decisions have been kicked down the road and it's time to ultimately make those for good. Yeah, I think that that's one of the things that, of course, um, underlies this whole def this whole discussion, and that's that, you know, you can't just say, you know, forget all this. Uh, we're going to shut the business down for two years, rewrite everything, and start from scratch. But I think it is really important for business people, uh, especially for uh, IT management, to understand that so much of what we do as an IT infrastructure organization, IT operations organization, so much of what we do uh, revolves around keeping things running instead of around making things work. And I know that that sounds kind of like the same thing, but um, you know there are a lot of tools out there, a lot of um, operations management monitoring tools, also a lot of infrastructure that simply exists because the underlying thing can't do the job. And so, you know, it's like, you know, oh, well, the, you know, our car can't drive on the snow, so I'm gonna put skis on it. Oh, well, it can't accelerate, so I'm gonna put a gen engine on it. You know, eventually, you know, you have to stop and say, wait, why are we driving a car on the snow anyway? And I think that that's kind of the, the fundamental thing here. And, and frankly, in my opinion, it seems that modern applications are finally giving us the excuse to break free. In other words, it's one of those things where we're kind of, um, uh, until now, uh, it was pretty easy to say, well, okay, we'll just strap some more stuff on here. Oh, we need high availability. Well, then we'll get another one, you know, and we'll just you know, have another path, have another switch, have another storage array, have another this, another that, and we'll just keep building all this stuff up to kind of band-aid over the problem. But modern applications are finally saying, wait a second, you know, we're designed for unreliable infrastructure. We're designed for distributed infrastructure. And all that traditional stuff, it kind of doesn't matter. I think that's what we're getting at here, right? We, that's absolutely what we're getting at. So I just want to reinforce what you said because it's so important. In an old world traditional application, we counted on the infrastructure for resilience. We counted on the infrastructure for essentially all these hooks and services that were required because the application itself was talking directly to the infrastructure through the operating system. When in the world of modern applications, a lot of those hooks that we require in traditional servers, traditional network, traditional storage, not only are they, do they not, do, are they not required, they don't exist. They're actually redundant. And in some cases, even using them will cause you more expense and more heartache than not having them at all. The other thing, though, that I want to really bring up is, is even, you know, the way in which we're using, um, and I'm just going to, I'm going to kind of evolve here to storage for a moment, just to kind of get into a point. Um, when we think about what we do in the storage side across block, file, and object, uh, you know, fundamentally, the block, block, block protocol has stayed more or less the same. It's a very mature protocol. If we look at file, 
uh, across NFS and SMB, originally SIFs. Uh, those protocols, although still very much in use, were never designed or evolved to handle billions of tiny files. And when we try to move from a large number of small or, or a small number of large files to a large number of small files, we actually put a tremendous amount of stress on those protocols and we slow down our entire project. What I'm getting at is um, we have to look at the overall architecture, the constructs that we've built through the years and start to get really comfortable being uncomfortable with new platforms, new architectures, new ways of thinking, new ways of operating. And I understand it's significantly easier to just bridge that modern applications into your common operating model of your traditional apps. But by doing so, you will essentially bankrupt your digital transformation. Yeah, the, uh, the car with skis and the jet engine uh, analogy that Stephen said was, was very evocative of some of the conversations that I have uh, going into to large customers and, and looking at their applications. And the interesting thing, whenever you're talking about this technical debt and eliminating it, a lot of times the, the teams that you're dealing with whenever you're on the digital transformation team, they don't know the application, that they're uh, not even really concerned with what's on the, the environment or the infrastructure beyond um, the operating system or what's going to wake them up at night. Uh, so I think your know, DevOps goes a long way, but whenever you're looking at a, uh, a enterprise or a legacy environment that you're trying to, to start this digital transformation in, uh, there has to be a whole lot of collaboration, which, which goes against this whole enterprise mindset that we keep talking about of, you know, you have to break down that silo, you have to break down that door uh, so that your, your digital transformation team actually knows what they're transforming from and into and what capabilities um, could even be there because they're very comfortable making sure the skis stay on that, that car when the jet engine starts going. Uh, and they, they've been trained like that. And I've been trained like that for you know, 15 years. I, I'm very comfortable changing skis in the middle of a, a snowstorm. So, you know, it's a process and people problem as well of making sure uh, that these that uh, you're you're bringing the right people to the table and that you're empowering the people who are being threatened by by the whole digital transformation conversation, uh, making sure that they understand where their place is and in the whole thing. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, Tom, as you talk about this people process and technology, it brings me back a little to this bimodal IT strategy that came out, you know, I don't know, I'm going to say almost a decade ago. And it really pitted the traditional application owners almost against the modern application owners. It created this fiefdom where it was like, okay, you guys are out playing with all the new stuff and it's our job to actually keep the business running and generate the revenue for the company. And I think that that crashed and burned because it created a wall rather than actually creating a collaborative workspace for traditional application teams and modern application teams to not just say one is better than the other, but that they're different and embrace that they're different. In fact, kind of like we have with hybrid cloud, we're not saying the data center is bad and the cloud is good. We're saying there's places, there are more choices. And I like to say we've gone from a 16 color palette to a 16 million color palette in terms of IT architecture. And it's not about or, it's about and. But the other point on the people side, in addition to those running the IT, is you know think about the change where 20 years ago, no one would have consulted the business owner. No one would have consulted uh, the data science team, there wasn't even a data science team in a lot of cases to understand the requirements of an application. IT would have been given the need to scale an app and they would have figured it all out. 
What we're finding today at Pure Storage is more and more, in fact, all of our modern application conversations are happening with the data teams, with the DevOps teams, and with the line of business. And by the time it gets to IT, it's typically at a point where the standards have been selected, the architectures have been done, and in many cases, the IT architects are actually integrated into those line of business or data teams. And so what's happening is it's a lot more about getting to that ultimate outcome. In the case of data science, how many simulations can we run? How many algorithms can we test? In the case of healthcare, you know, how many genomic sequences can we throw through the system? In the, uh, we're working with some government clients around civilian security, right? How much data can we ingest and how quickly can we do it and how quickly can we connect the dots to take the appropriate remedies? These are very different than our traditional conversations around IOPS, latency, performance, uptime. And so as the people have changed, the decision criteria for architectures have changed. And we're finding it pure that it's creating, you know, a different set of questions and a different set of evaluation criteria in many of the deals that we're competing. So I want to go into that a little bit further because I really hear everybody saying we need to interchange all the teams. We need to make sure that the, dev is the devs are talking to the ops, the ops and the devs uh, or the architects are talking to them as well, but the whole team as a, needs to come together and making sure that um, the applications that are already running um, keep running or transition to a modern application and the new and modern applications that are being architectured to bring revenue to the company um, needs to be architected in, in, in a new and modern way. Um, so I think bringing the teams together and having some technical debt isn't that um, bad, let's put it that way, um, but we need to get our head off at times and say, you know, um, we are going to do it a different way. We're going to take off the skis and, and, and get the application running where it needs to run instead of um, getting the jet engine on. Yeah, as we're talking about uh, technical debt and legacy application, legacy architecture, the, the other way that you can say legacy is you know an application that makes money. Uh, so it's been around for a long time. Uh, it, you know, maybe it's over 10 years old and it was written and it works, it makes millions or billions of dollars a year. Uh, so it is really even hard to approach that and say, yeah, it's it's got its rough ed edges, but you know, maybe we can make it run better or faster or more efficient if we figure out how to break it into microservices or run it into some sort of uh, actual modern uh, methodology. So you're know, trying to, to take that and go to the business and say, we know this is making money, but you know, here's the reasons why you need to modernize it anyway. Uh, I, I see that as a challenge and, and it's definitely some pushback that I've, I've heard before. Yeah, it's always hard to quantify, right? An application is making the company money. Could it be making the company more money? Are we celebrating the fact that this is a $50 million business where it could be a $500 million business or even a $5 billion business over time? Um, I think the other key thing to kind of keep in mind in all this is you know, ultimately, if we think about um, the way in which these projects are funded, 
And Tom, I'd love for you to kind of, you know, give me the, the, the follow-up because it's kind of on your point. These original projects and the way we funded them, we funded them based on what I consumed last year, plus or minus 10%, plus or minus 5%. They were flat. That's all on efficiency. That's an efficiency-based claim. I wonder if maybe, you know, are we even building the right business cases for these apps? Um, are we putting enough, um, you know, thought into what kind of opportunity we have? And are organizations doing a good enough job, in your opinion, of getting enough of these projects into the funnel? And allowing them to be tested in a way that doesn't cost millions, if not you know tens of millions of dollars, but really filter through the signal to the noise, figure out which projects are actually going to pay off, and then in, in doing so, be able to fund hundreds of more initiatives and then double down on the ones that are working. Yeah, it, it becomes very tricky, and it's, it's a case-by-case -case basis conversation of... Uh, can you come in and efficiently show that it is going to run better? It is going to help X, Y, or Z. Like if you're going in as an ops conversation and saying it'll, this program has woken up my on-call ops guy every night for 20 years that it's been running. Uh, if we modernize it, then we can, you know, make his life better. You know, is that going to be a compelling case or is it, you know, Hey, we can actually bring in this, you know, equipment or adopt this framework or do something that actually will make it run better. And, you know, yes, he's waking up every night, but he's waking up every night because the, the service is broken. Uh, so whenever you're having that kind of conversation, it goes different, but there's a lot of products out there that are cloud or they're in the cloud, but their entire focus is just making sure you're picking up that technical debt and like chucking it into there. Um, you know, once again, you're pushing the can down the line in a whole new innovative way. Uh, so it is really hard to to pinpoint exactly who or why someone's going to make the millions of dollars investment in changing something that's not broke from a business perspective. Yeah, so so let me let me kind of get to where is the technical debt and what are maybe some of the areas that I think we can um, we can start to really break down some barriers. I would tell you we've made, we've made progress here. And it's been huge progress. And I don't know that we've celebrated the progress. When we looked at the amount of manual effort associated with setting up servers and getting them running, we solved that with VMware. We solved that with virtualization. When we looked at the pain of setting up and configuring switches, we solved that in many cases with software-defined networking. Um, you know, telcos have solved it with NFV. Uh, we're making progress. I would tell you that storage has still been the area of the dark ages. It is still the largest investment of people, time across most organizations to just manually have storage ready, accessible, available. Now, the reason in the modern space, it's not a big deal because a lot of the storage has become automated through Kubernetes. A lot of it's become automated through CSI. A lot of it is getting even further automated through Portworx. But I would say that the lack of uh, you know, innovation around organizations saying, hey, I actually need to modernize my storage platform that's even running my traditional apps simply so that I can free up time and effort and energy so that I can actually focus the IT skill and architecture on finding ways to bring this modern stack together and bring this modern stack to life rather than continuing to invest in manual uh, redundant tasks on the storage side. 
I'd like to point out too that um, you know we're not necessarily saying that technical debt is bankrupting your legacy apps. I mean, legacy apps can continue to run and make you money. Uh, you know, the premise here was that technical debt is bankrupting your modern apps. And I think that uh, maybe, I don't want to speak for y'all, but maybe we can all agree that modern apps built on legacy infrastructure is bad. I mean, it, 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 if an app, uh, for example, uses object storage, uh, maybe don't have some kind of like a weird gateway that like converts, I don't know, like a fiber channel SAN to become like object storage, you know, to get really specific, you know, maybe use an object storage system. You know, if an app, uh, you know, use has a, needs a Kubernetes integration, you know, maybe don't like write some giant thing, you know, maybe use something that works that way. And um, otherwise, uh, you know, this is the thing for me. Otherwise, if you try to build a modern app on an old infrastructure, you're going to end up with a modern app that doesn't work or that doesn't give you the results you want. I mean, that's that seems to be my opinion. I don't know, Aryan, what do you think? Is that a compelling argument? Uh, because I am sensitive to what you're saying that maybe some things work okay with uh, traditional infrastructure. Yeah, totally agree. Um, I think a lot of all of that has to do with the transition that we're in. Um, we're seeing a lot of folks it's already mentioned going to hybrid cloud, going to cloud first. Um, so building the new application brings a complete different ball game. And a lot of people maybe starting on their old infrastructure. Um, but I, I think that you're totally right in the fact that modern applications, and that's why I totally agree with the, the premise that we had, um, you have to rethink and, and, and really get rid of the technical debt that you are taking with you over all those years and really rethink, okay, how am I going to build this app to make sure that it, it runs now but it runs in, in, in the future as well. Um, yeah, not taking into account the technical debt that we have, but just going into, okay, so what does the world look right now and, and how will it be in a couple of years and, and where do I want to have it residing? In some cases that will be on-premises, so build your on-premise environment the right way but in the other case, it, it will probably go into the cloud. Yeah, and um, I would agree with that too. And even if you're building stuff in the cloud natively and going cloud first, uh, it would be a hard argument to even say a traditional three-tier application it is a cloud or is a uh, modern ap application just because it sets in three tiers in the cloud. Uh, if you're still maintaining that OS, you're still maintaining the you know, traditional type of storage underneath, you're still maintaining traditional databases. It's not really a modern app. It just, it's a modern app in sheep's clothing, really. It's, you know, got the, the same things that you need to get rid of that's going to hold you back. So um, whenever you're making these cloud-first applications, if the architects are coming to you and saying, okay, here, let's take what we've already been doing on-premises for these 20 years, let's just go ahead and do that up there. You know, maybe if you're in phase one of just getting your feet wet, but that's not really the modern apps that I think Sean is, uh, is talking about here either. I just think that it's, you know, legacy thinking holding you back. 
Yeah, I, I, I think we can get very aligned here in that, you know, when I'm running run physical machine, pain's not that big. I move to 10 VMs or 100 VMs. The pain's still not that big. I can still do a lot of things the way I did them with one when I have 10. But when I get to containers and I'm in a world of 1,000 or 10,000 or 100,000 or millions of containers, you're going to get customers like Roblox, uh, you know, who obviously saw a huge surge. My kids are some of the, the biggest fans of, of, of their service. Um, how do you manage at that scale? And I think that's where, I mean, getting to this technical debt, the decisions that, you know, could have been made as mistakes by companies who said, ah, it's good enough. Let's keep our traditional infrastructure solutions in place. It's only the beginning of the project. What's the big deal? Well, all of a sudden, demand surges. Demand surges, and we go from 100 to 1,000 to 10,000 to even a million containers. And now we've essentially flooded our organization with operating costs that's keeping us back from actually rolling these out. And so what I would leave you with is simplicity at scale. Modern applications are all and completely reliant on simplicity at scale. And if we can take the operating model out of the equation, a lot with what Pure and Portworx are fundamentally focused on, we call it the modern data experience, but it really is driving simplicity at scale across all applications. And in doing that, what it, what it says is focus your resources and your energy on figuring out ways to integrate across the data pipeline. And Stephen, if I may, I just want to dive into this for a moment because it's a very important point. There is, to my knowledge, no fully integrated stack for data pipeline that delivers everything modern applications require. And if we say modern applications are basic, basically modern analytics, and those analytic pipelines are powered by 50 or 75 different titles of various applications that do everything from ingest to transform to analyze, to visualize, et cetera. The IT teams are going to need resource and they're going to need uh, intellectual horsepower to figure out how to reliably integrate all these platforms. To do that, we got to simplify the backend and it's modern infrastructure that's going to get, get them there. And that's exactly where pure storage plays. And that's where we will continue to push um, and essentially disrupt legacy players in that industry. Yeah. And, uh... You know, I think that the, the the place to leave it is, you know, pure storage or not, port works or not, if you're relying on legacy architectures to support modern applications, it's not going to work. The technical debt absolutely will bankrupt your modern apps. And uh, frankly, that's uh, a good enough premise for me. So thank you very much for joining us today. It's been great having this conversation. Before we go, I want to give each of you a chance to tell us uh, where we can connect with you and continue this conversation. So, Sean, let's start with you. Yeah, sure. You can find me on LinkedIn, uh, Sean Rosemary. You can find me on Twitter, at Sean Rosemary. Uh, you can also find, obviously, a whole bunch of Pure-related blogs. And if you are looking for my thoughts beyond the world of Pure Storage and just overall IT transformation in general, I do have my own personal website at seanrosemary.com, uh, which tends to be more vendor-neutral uh, kind of philosophy type conversations. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn as well, Ariane Timmerman, um, Twitter uh, at Ariane Tim, and uh, I said it before uh, at Tech Unplugged, or uh, yeah, at Tech Unplugged is also a Twitter uh, handle that I use, but um, um, the blog is uh, techunplugged.io slash blog. And uh, you can find me on uh, Twitter at Tom Talks Tech. I'm on LinkedIn as well, uh, joining the party with LinkedIn of everyone else. And I blog at greencomp.com. 
And as for me, you can find me right here at gestaltit.com uh, every Tuesday with a new podcast and every Wednesday with the uh, Gestalt IT rundown of the week's news. So thank you for joining us for the on-premise IT roundtable. If you enjoyed this discussion, please do subscribe, rate, and review the show since that really does help. That's some technical debt that helps. Uh, and uh, please do share this show with your friends. This podcast is brought to you by gestaltit.com, your home for IT coverage across the enterprise. And this special episode is brought to you by Pure Storage. For show notes and more episodes, go to gestaltit.com slash podcast. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.